Hey folks, I hope you all are ready for the newest episode of The Long Road Home, but before we begin, I do want to address an error that we made during the recording. The name of the man who wrote the Missing 411 books is not David Pauldings, it's David Politis. Sorry. Sorry. We did not notice this until the end of the recording. I have no idea how because we both held the book in our hands, but we did. Read multiple articles. Watched so many Can-Am Missing Project videos with with him involved in said videos. Yep. Um, sorry, bro. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But Politis, we got it. We got it now. We do. Uh, so, yeah, with that air in mind, please enjoy the rest of the podcast. I think it's a great one. You guys are going to like it. Bye. Bye. Stories, spirituality, pathways, and aliens. You're here on The Long Road Home. PremiumBeats.com Hello. Hello. How you doing, Emily? I'm doing great, Chad. How about you? Doing awesome. <laughs> it's 80 degrees in our house yeah, right now. Yeah, I, I said great, but um, turns out I lied. Just sweating. <laughs> it was 92 degrees today. We live in a second story apartment unit, and uh, we have a tiny little AC. Um, yeah. That's, he's just been working he his hardest. Trying so hard, but <laughs> it's not enough. He's like the little, the little engine that thought he could. I think I can cool you off. I yep. think I can cool you off. He's, I mean... <laughs> He's doing better than people without an AC, I guess. We're at least 10 degrees colder right now yeah. than some of our neighbors are. Poor bastards. But that still makes it 82 degrees. Yeah. It's miserable. But uh, we're here with you on another episode of The Long Road Home. We're happy to be here. We're going to sweat it out for you. Yeah. Sweat it out. Just It's just like a natural sauna for ourselves. And you're here with us. And I hope you're just as sweaty as I am. In a way, it's going to be a cleansing experience, you know, because I've been reading so many spooky, creepy stories over the last couple of weeks. Has Maybe been now as I release them and, and tell them to you and I can, you know, verbalize it and put it out into the air and also physically kind of sweat out those toxins and maybe start anew yeah. after this. <laughs> We've been, it's taken a while to get to this point to do the recording. We've been pretty busy and so it's been a couple of weeks now of us reading through a uh, missing 411 book, which is what we're going to be uh, talking to you guys about today. But before we do that, I do want to tell you guys, like, so we're recording this at the, what, the first, second day of August, right? Mm-hmm. August 2nd. So this is fresh news. The Pentagon has off-world vehicles not made of this earth. Un-fucking-believable. It's confirmed, people. It's confirmed. Yet again, in case you haven't been aware, it was confirmed. Um, when was that? When did the Navy release those videos? Was that earlier this year? Yeah, that was earlier That was this in year. 2020? Yes, Holy it was. shit. Well, that's when the Navy released videos of, uh, what are they calling them now? Un- they're not UFOs anymore. No, they're UA- Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, UAPs. That's right. And mm-hmm. so the Navy released footage back in January. Yeah, it was earlier this year. I don't know when anymore. Uh-huh. Time is a blob. But We're now a, blob. a different blob. government entity within the United States, the Pentagon, has... Now, it's not footage this time, right? No. So this is uh, an article from Popular Mechanics, right? Uh, a Pentagon spokesperson told them that while a government program did investigate unmanned aer- aerial vehicles, UAVs, which is another term that they use, 
which is somehow different than unidentified aerial phenomenon. I don't know enough about those two to tell you the difference, hmm. but they are different. But they investigated UAVs and UAPs for some time during the last decade, but funding dried up in 2012. Popular Mechanics thoroughly investigated this program, and multiple sources say it's still ongoing to this day. Yeah. We kind of, if you've been, if you've been looking into um, UFOs or aliens or these sort of phenomenon, we've known for a while. Yes, we have. Catch the fuck up, everybody. I'm sick and tired of waiting through. No, we're going to cut that. We're going to cut that because I'm not, I'm not (laughs) sick and tired of it. I love what I'm doing, but I'm just saying everyone else needs to step it up. Yeah. I'm just angry. It's time to get informed. Oh, because he doesn't know anything. Yeah. She's like, can you believe it? Can you believe that this happened? And it's like, yeah. Why wouldn't I? (laughs) We knew about those videos that the Navy released, like, what, a decade ago? Yeah. It's been a while. 24, it's almost a decade. Yeah. Holy cow. Just been denying it. Yep. So the astrophysicist Eric Davis, who consulted with the Pentagon's original UFO program and now works for the Defense Contractor Aerospace Corp., told the Times that after he examined certain materials, he came to the conclusion that we couldn't make them ourselves. In fact, Davis briefed a DOD, Department of Defense Agency, as recently as March about retrieving materials from off-world vehicles not made of this Earth. Now, what's the scariest part about this to me is that they're having to tell senators about this, and those are the dumbest fucking people on the planet. They're not Marco Rubio has thousands of people dying in Florida. He's fucking jerking off in the corner going, we gotta, we gotta, this could be China. China could have UFOs. What are we going to do about it while he's sucking his thumb? Why are we telling these people? I don't know. Tell us how you really feel. I don't need to go there. (laughs) That's as political as this is going to get today. But it is very, very interesting news. It's just flying under the radar. There are so many more other important things going on right now. Uh, Black lives do matter. There's so many. Wear a fucking mask. Yeah, wear a mask. There's a global pandemic. There's just so many other things, and they're so important. Oh, by the way, the Earth is still melting, just in case you forgot. Yep. So that's happening, Wildfire too. season's right here. Uh, yeah, things are totally different than they were six months ago, so it's really easy for this to be ignored. Distract. <laughs> redirect. Yes. Constant redirection and disinformation. It is 2020. This is the anarch- anarchist uh, prime time. I <laughs> like it. It's insane. It's the dystopia that I always thought was coming, and I feel prepared. <laughs> Are gonna, you? We're going to get this taken off the air before we even release it. They won't take it off. If those people that killed those kids can... Oh, wait. No, they got their stuff taken off. The the, the uh, Mormon people that thought that the woman convinced the man that her kids were zombies, and they had to kill them, and that's how their spirits would get released. They, were on a, they, had, a, they had a religious podcast, but I guess they got their stuff taken off after that. Well, because they murdered uh, They them. did murder them. I can't tell you. the. De- Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, in Idaho? Yeah. Yeah. And then they were in Hawaii, and they mm-hmm. were just like basking in the sun. That woman's insane. Lori Vallow, that's her name. And uh, Chad Davis? Is that right? I have no idea. <laughs> I just throwing all Chad Davises under the bus? Uh, it's not important. I do know it's Lori Vallow. Also, in other news... But da, 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 da. so, um, in looking into this week's topic, Missing 411, 
As one does, I've gone down some Reddit holes, everybody. I'll try to keep you updated on, on what I find. Now, some of you might be familiar with this story. It's definitely, it's been around a lot recently. Um, for those of you that are into pop culture, uh, you might have seen the hashtag Free Britney. Free Britney. Uh, trending on social media. Um, so, you know, it kind of started there and then, it, and then it spiraled out. Essentially, Britney's been set up. Um, we all know and are familiar with the the Britney breakdown of 2008, I believe it was, um, when she shaved her head and was experiencing experiencing some mental health issues. She which was is, having a mon- case dude, of the Mondays. You know, don't we all though? It's really unfortunate that she had to go through something like that, um, which is already challenging in and of itself. But then on a very very public platform. But anyway, now in 2020, Britney has two children she's a full-grown woman she's gone on several she's had a very successful career um her parents still have conservatorship over her meaning that she does not have control of her finances she does not have control over um where she goes and what she does and what she says and what she puts out into the world so uh a lot of people are saying that we need to free Britney and I could go, I can get into it, but essentially I think that it's bigger than free Britney. Um, and that's what I'm here to talk to you guys about today. There's this fucking guy. His name is Sam Lefty (laughs) and he was, um, a quote unquote manager of Britney during kid diddler. Well, okay, that's not really necessarily where this is. You don't think so? No, no. That's where it was going. No, that's Dan Schneider. (laughs) Oh, Dan Schneider's a kid diddler. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's that is part of it but we're not gonna go there today okay i was just gonna cover sam lefty okay go ahead bye no kid diddlers supposed uh quote-unquote manager for britney sam lefty was also uh, a manager or had worked with amanda Bynes. that's right beloved childhood star amanda Bynes of the amanda show um it's not she's got it all. What is it? All that? All no, it's all that. No, I was talking all about her other movies. That, this is all that. What was the girl who had the like the be back after the commercials little skit where she was like, They have me on a twenty four hour suicide watch. That was on Nickelodeon when we were kids. Do you remember that? Yes, I do remember. Curly hair, brown curly hair. Yes. I do I did not remember her saying that she was on a suicide watch. Yep. I do remember her in the jacket. Yeah. Always. Anyway, I was saying, Amanda Bynes, she's the man. It was what a girl wants. Fuck yeah. Easy A, hairspray, and a bunch more. Um, She also had a very public meltdown. Um, And during this public meltdown, Sam Lefty reached out to her uh, and essentially had her committed. And then that's when her parents also got conservatorship. Um, You want to know who else worked with Sam Lefty? Who else? Lindsay fucking Lohan. What? Another beloved childhood star who had a public well kind of multiple multiple public L- Lindsay lohan yeah she she's um, pulling wild falters we should we could say uh you think she, she smoked crack well you know it's interesting you would say that a lot of people say that with britney and potentially with amanda and potentially with Lindsay lohan that there's heavy drug use involved um mm. that's also I wasn't really going to go there tonight either because it's just we could go so many different ways with this. But I just wanted to bring out that Sam Lefty has managed, quote unquote, managed these women um, at very point at various points. Dur- 
throughout their career, specifically when they were having these mental breakdowns and when their parents gained conservatorship over them. So, you know, I just got really excited about this. Not necessarily excited. (laughs) That sounds... (laughs) (laughs) Kind of gross, but intrigued by this. Um, And I didn't know how to get it out into the world that we need to look more into these other women who have had similar experiences to Britney. Hashtag free Britney. Hashtag free Amanda. Hashtag free Lindsay. Let's fucking nip this shit in the bud. I'm over this Hollywood bullshit. It's very weird. I mean, there's definitely a ring of people and they're scheming. Yeah. It's very creepy. Mm-hmm. Very creepy. And we could have gotten into the kid diddling. There are also claims that, like, their parents have sexually abused them. But we we could go down some different roads that could potentially get us into legal trouble. All of that is alleged. So um, Allegedly. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to point out this one guy. Again, allegedly. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Anyway, let's get focused. Yeah, so Mission 411. That's what we're talking about today. Now, Missing 411 is a series of books written by someone named David Pauldines. Missing 411 is defined as the vague claim that something unusual is occurring relating to deaths and disappearances in national parks and other quote-unquote clusters that he has identified in different areas of the United States. Um, his He's got several of these books. The western one focuses a lot more on national parks. The eastern one seems to focus more on uh, states and hunters and specifically the state of pennsylvania apparently has like a humongous number of missing people under strange circumstances like outside of pittsburgh right i have no idea i haven't seen the clusters on that one i haven't seen the map okay that, that if was i did one that i, I, I that was one it. that i had seen i was just a little surprised continue sorry i mean i don't know pittsburgh's pretty sketchy right just... pittsburgh tell me if it's sketchy so before we begin i'd like to tell you all our references for this show or for this episode the first is Missing 411, Western United States and Canada, Unexplained Disappearances of North Americans That Have Never Been Solved. That is the book by David Pauldians. We also have some Amazon reviews, an article in the Skeptical Inquirer titled An Investigation of the Missing 411 Conspiracy by Kyle Pollock, a statistician, some Amazon reviews, a New York Post article, Why Hundreds of People Vanish into the American Wilderness, uh, Snopes Fact Check, some Reddit threads, and a website called strangeoutdoors.com. Yes, well, I also spent a lot of time on the Missing 411 subreddit. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, I watched a lot of videos from the Can-Am Missing Project, um, which is a group of retired police officers and search and rescue es- experts um, dedicated to researching, uh, investigating, and understanding the issue the issues associated with people who go missing in the wilds of North America. I almost said issues, issues. and I don't know where that came from. Um, also, I, I read um, from the Missing 411 book that we have by David's David, David Paul Deans. Paul Deans. Yep. Um, and I spent some time on mysteriousuniverse.org as well. Great. So we should start by telling you who David Paul Deans is. Now, uh, you don't even have to read the books to get into some sort of controversy with uh, this whole idea of missing 411. According to David Pauldines, on his online biography page, he received his undergraduate and graduate degrees from the University of San Francisco. 
1977, he began a 20-year career in law enforcement, transferring in 1980 to the San Jose Police Department. There, he worked in the patrol division on the SWAT team, patrol and street crimes unit, and a variety of assignments in the detective division. In 2011, Polyeds received approval for a deferred vesting status totaling 16.5 years of service for his time with the San Jose Police Department. Um, this is contentious. From <laughs> some other sources that uh, were Amazon reviews, <laughs> I, I read that they found some information that this man was not a detective and was instead a uh, traffic cop. <laughs> really? I also found through this scathing review of this man, this guy went crazy on him. Um, on Amazon, yeah, by the way. It was a huge article. Maybe but the guy he was crazy. Got I'm just personal. I'm just putting it out there. There's I did not find this information myself. He did get very personal. He also claims that he did not choose to retire, and I saw this from two different places, that there was some sort of incident where he tried to use his power and uh, to get some sort of information, I think, oh. and claimed that to be a higher rank than he was, and something like that had happened and marred his status as a police officer, and so he was given the option to quit. Um, I don't know if any of that's true. You know, all of this to me is neither here nor there. Personally, no, I, it's not. I heard about Missing 411 uh, a few years ago uh, mm-hmm. through various podcasts and books and and what have you. Um, and I was just I was all in from the start because it at least from the way that David presents these ideas, um, you know, he he tries to stay pretty neutral. Yeah, he does. And that's sort of the premise of the books, I think, is um there's a lot less of a here's what I think happened, although there is a little bit of it here and there in the stories, but it's more of uh, cases, case-by-case case incidences that describe what has happened. I have also heard that he cherry-picked some of the information. Don't know how true that is as well. Because, honestly, it's it's really hard to find information on these people. We looked for several different cases, and oftentimes what comes up is what's in these books. It's really weird. So, I mean, he must have done a lot of digging to get where he did. David himself spent a lot of time using the Freedom of Information Act to get files on these people in order to figure out what happened to them or if there was any extra information. Now, before he wrote these books, <laughs> just to tell you a little bit more about who he is as a person, he also wrote some Bigfoot books. Specifically, he wrote... I don't actually see the names anywhere, which I guess they didn't really do that well. But he also founded the North American Bigfoot Research Group during this time. They do have a website, and I gotta say, it's inconsistent. It's it's like a lot of Bigfoot stuff, but it's all like old HTML text. It doesn't really like look good at all. But there's also links to the books. There's also links to his other books. There's the quote unquote researchers. They have like three or four people on there that they decided to post prior to them sending out this big, we have Bigfoot DNA thing. Um, so I don't know. Well, what do you want? Do you want them to be good Bigfoot researchers or do you want them to be good website creators? Cause I, you know, Probably I can't think, both. <laughs> I think that you can't have both. I think you got to take your pick. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about a, a retired cop. Do you really retired th- cop Bigfoot hunter? Bigfoot hunter. Do you really think that Not the website's going to be no. hashtag 2020? That, that is a shoestring budget website, <laughs> but regardless, he did do that. His interest, his interest into these books came when he was visiting a national park in the United States. He was talking to a law enforcement supervisor there and asking a couple of questions. 
The night after he was making his inquiries at the park, an off-duty ranger in street clothing knocked at his door. He introduced himself and stated he had read his books and that he knew of uh, David's law enforcement and investigative background and felt he was the perfect individual to research an issue that he had known concerned him for years. The ranger started to tell him about a series of missing people inside the national parks. The ranger stated that the events were very unusual and many people were never found and the park service was doing everything possible to keep a lid on the publicity surrounding the missing. This is a theme throughout his books. He thinks the National Park Service is doing an absolutely terrible job of maintaining um, who's missing in their park. He, he asserts there is no list of missing people in national parks. From what I've read, that is true. They have some sort of a database that they send missing people to another federal system. I also read, though, that that system is really, really bad, and only 17% of missing people cases actually make it to that database, and it is so unpopular that Fish and Wildlife, the federal Fish and Wildlife Program, refuses to use it at all. Dude, that's so fucking scary, It is. It's very, very scary, and there's definitely, like, even if you want to say there's a database somewhere with people, the National Park Service does not keep that. There's not, like, a National Park Service database from what I have gathered. Well, just think, think about the number of people that are running through those parks every day. Yeah. It's creepy. It's very scary. It seems like um, they don't necessarily know who's there and who isn't. No, there's no real check. You know, you, you go in at least here in Yellowstone. No, I would say in most national park, every national park, you go in and you pay by car, right? You do. If you do backcountry camping, you do have to buy a permit. You, quote, unquote, have to buy a permit. Um, these parks are huge, though. You could literally just walk into one. The odds of you being found are so slim, right? Unless it's just a skeleton. Years later, if you don't vanish mysteriously. But and you know, here's the thing: all of that is fine. You're entering into the wilderness. It's it's your own call. That's the risk that you're gonna take, right? But at least be transparent about the people that have gone missing. Yeah, and I think that's his biggest problem: is they seem to be trying very hard to make it seem like there isn't a large group of people that have went missing. I've also read that kind of federally, there isn't a, a sweeping search and rescue program to cover things that happen in national parks. So although these parks are huge and they act like um, almost like sovereign states, they have to, uh, a lot of law, a lot of state laws bring the search and rescue operation back to the sheriff's department of the county. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and that's where a lot of these people end up in these databases they end up in state databases or federal databases so they kind of get spread out um for that that's what i've gathered that's what i think is happening anyway uh it's a very complicated problem but it seems to be one that he's not wrong totally wrong about definitely and he ends up finding some interesting um clusters and correlations yeah he does um in his book he's got a large number of what he calls clusters of people that go missing in a, a very similar area of the United States. A lot of people like to uh, lay this over top of a cave system of the United States poster, and you can kind of see some very eerie similarities in the clusters and where the cave systems are. Um, that's what the Snopes really? article that I was talking about is showing. Yeah, so Snopes' take on it is, yes, there is a similarity correlation does not equal causation and this is not a thorough uh representation of all the missing people in the united states but in regards to the people that he has collected data on there is 
sort of a similar overlay when you sit those maps on top of each other. Well, and it's really interesting that you should say that because in one of the videos that I was watching today um, on Can-Am Missing People, um, they were talking about the way that missing people are reported as well and how that, that can throw numbers off. So if you have a teenager who doesn't come home one night and his parents go and report him missing obviously there's a a time period right but let's say he doesn't come home he's like really testing them uh and they report him missing it goes in the system he's now a missing person if he does it again a year later and the same thing happens his parents report him he it's another open and closed missing persons case so it's not it doesn't go by person it goes by incident and so therefore um, the numbers are kind of thrown off by that as well. Huh. That is very strange. So the people that David writes about in these Missing 411 books have a number of unique factors regarding their disappearance, and that's why they made the cut for the book. So these factors include things like rural setting, um, dogs. Dogs play a major role in many of the disappearances. Sometimes dogs disappear and are found. Other times dogs disappear and return home. Sometimes dogs disappear and are never found. Sounds like a dog to me, but that's one of his factors. This one is very strange to me, and I would like, if anyone out there has any idea of why this could be, is that bloodhounds and canines cannot track the scent. It seems like in all of these cases when they do bring in dogs, I mean, it, in all these cases when they do bring in dogs, they cannot track it, or they take them in a totally opposite direction of the way that they thought the child or missing person might have went. Another really freaky one to me, it seems like after one of these strange disappearances happens, there's a massive weather event, be it a huge snowstorm or a rainstorm, something that significantly delays the search and rescue operation. Most common time for disappearance is between 2 and 5 p.m., so afternoon disappearances. Many of the missing people are found in the middle or on the perimeter of a swamp or briar patch. And this one, David believes, is one of the most unusual conditions found in many of these cases. They are found in a conscious or semi-conscious state. He understands that when a person goes missing for an extended period of time, hallucinations can occur. However, these conditions were prevalent even when these factors did not exist. In the books, you read about cases where the missing are found unconscious, lying on the ground, and when questioned later, have no recollection of how they went missing. Um, This one's very strange to me, is that he includes berries as a factor. He defends that by saying the fact that berries and berry bushes play a common role in many of the disappearances is quite intriguing. People disappear and are found in the middle of berry bushes. They go missing while picking berries, and some are found while eating berries. The connection between some disappearances and berries cannot be denied. The next is that clothing is removed, which could be for a number of reasons. Personally, that's what I think anyway. Um, Some of it is quite odd. The last is that the missing is found in an area that has previously been searched. Um, So those are the the factors that he uses to determine whether or not it is considered a missing 4-in-1 case to him. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we're going to be using uh, the word SAR teams a lot. That means search and rescue, just so everyone knows. That's just an abbreviation that's very commonly used. Just so everyone knows, this is going to be a multi-part thing. Um, we're going to be coming back to this book from time to time, and there's there are several of these, and I really hope I get to sh- I really hope we get to share a lot of this information with you all. This is just the Western United States, and in this book, there are so many different stories. And a lot of them do seem like they could be um, wrote off as maybe a suicide or they just fell off a cliff. But there are some in this book that are genuinely very unnerving to me. That's right. So we are going to start out in Idaho, specifically Gentile, Gentile or Gentile? 
Gentile. Gentile Valley, Idaho. The year is 1883, and 18 month old James Vaughan goes missing. Uh, before, you, before you go any further, it is he goes back quite a ways if he can just so you guys know there are a couple of incidences that he has he he writes about that are from the 1800s yes and specifically with this story i can see where people might think that he is suggesting the presence of bigfoot um but i found it to be interesting and and a cool story and it was in local newspapers so okay so on August 26th, 1883, the Salt Lake Tribune published a story titled Carried Off by a Bear, an 18-month-old child taken into the mountains but found alive and well the next day. Spooky. The article states that a mother was working at her house in the Gentile Valley of southeast Idaho, just northwest of Bear Lake. As the woman was doing the wash, she suddenly realized her son James was missing. She immediately searched the area but could not find her 18-month-old baby. So... Fun fact about me, I was a preschool teacher for about a year. Um, I specifically worked with two-year-olds and three-year-olds, but I also spent some time with one-year-old babies as well. So he, if he was 18 months old, um, they can't get very far on their own. Um, they're called toddlers for a reason. Their heads are very oversized um, for their tiny little bodies. And so just to start off, 18-month-old, goes missing that's very suspicious that's something i hadn't thought about honestly it's how just wobbly they are <laughs> yeah i mean they're like little um bobbleheads and they just teeter on over um they don't really have a lot of muscle control or bone development happening so mm-hmm. so then the mother ran to a neighbor's house and made a plea for assistance 17 neighbors responded and started looking for tracks the article then states that late on that first afternoon, some of the men found the tracks of a, quote, huge bear. The men followed the tracks into the canyons and valleys toward Bear Lake. As evening started to fall, uh, they still hadn't found the boy, and they returned to their homes until the next morning. Before dawn the next morning, three men left to return to the area where they had last seen the tracks. At 10 a.m., Ed Goslin spotted James quote, curled up in a bunch of weeds and grass in the bushes, sound asleep with his little tattered and torn dress thrown over his head, while close by, beside the sleeping child, was the warm bed of, of what must have been a very large bear, which apparently had abandoned the child when the men came by. The child had been carried four miles through valleys wow. and over uh, some very rough terrain and thick brush. Now, it's interesting, uh, we should note that the child was found with only one slight scratch on the bottom of his foot. Other than that, he was not harmed. That is insane. Isn't that crazy? God, it's so it's so weird. So, so they strange. found huge bear tracks, right? But think about that. If a bear came by and picked up a small child, wouldn't it have dragged on the ground? First of all, that's crazy in itself that a bear is just picking up a child and then walking four miles away with it. Um, but then also, it's not dragging on the ground. There's no bruises or scratches. The bear apparently didn't try to eat it. It looks like it slept next to it. It's kind of strange. I don't know. Bears are very territorial. Bears are very aggressive over food as well. So I, I don't know why it would not have tried to fight whatever approached it when it had the child. If right. it was planning on eating it, I don't know why a bear wouldn't want to just eat whatever it has, though. Right. And I should say, obviously, this is the first story that I'm starting with, and it's not a missing person because he was found, or I guess he was missing for a night um, mm. or a, a day and a night. Um, but it's just it's just something that 
is very um, interesting and I thought would be a good a place lot, to start. Yeah, a lot of these stories, the people are found. But when they are found, they are found in very strange conditions. That's true. And when the children, a lot of the times the, the children are found. Yeah, very, and, very strange. Um, and Yeah, well... We'll get to, I, we'll get to more of that. I can't wait. We're not doing it this episode, but I, I can't wait to share the Montana stories because of all of them I have read, um, they are the strangest. And in the book, he even writes for the introduction of the Montana stories is these are some of the most unbelievable stories that I heard while I was writing this. It's nuts. Um, the next case that we have is that of Donald McDonald. <laughs> I know the, the, these two <laughs> Don names. Don McDonald. And it's and this is around 1950. What are you going to um, call him, Donald? Donald. Donald. McDonald. It's a great name, Donald. <laughs> I reckon so, Donald. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go get the wives. Have a bond dance for your new child. That's what happened in uh, the yeah, potato races. Potato sack races. I bet those were popular. In Idaho? I bet <laughs> so. Man, they, they were just from? hopping all day long in them potato sacks. American culture. It's That's beautiful. how you wore those kids out. Anyway, um, so the year is 1949. We're at Black Snake Ridge, and Donald McDonald is 17 years old. Now, it's December 15th, so it's obviously winter in Idaho. But himself and his friend, Jack Farquharson. <laughs> yes, that's his name. It sounds like someone it's, that it's would live Farquharson. in Idaho. It's Farquharson. It's very Nordic, very Scandinavian. Those are the people that settled the north up here. They so, like the winter. 17-year-old Donald and 21-year-old Jack Farquharson decide to go hunting. Um, it's important to note that they are both very experienced young hunters, um, and they had a lot of a lot of knowledge of how to survive in the backcountry. How old was he again? Donald was 17, and Jack was 21. Okay. So um, they were both raised in the area, and they had subst- substantial hunting experience. They were hunting a ridgeline called Black Snake Ridge. Jack was leading the pair and spotted a nice-sized elk and shot it. The two boys started to track the wounded animal. Jack concentrated on tracking the blood and prints in the snow. He eventually found the dead animal and then turned back to speak with Donald but realized that he was gone. He called his name several times. There was no answer. He walked back through their tracks trying to retrace their path but eventually lost them in the heavy snow. He then went back gutted his elk, and brought it back to camp, thinking that Donald would have gone back and set up. Over the next two days, Jack searched for his friend without finding any trace of him. On Saturday morning, half frozen, he stumbled into the sheriff's office and reported his hunting partner missing. Snowstorms had hit the area the day Donald went missing, and this hampered search efforts uh, and the ability of trackers to follow a path. The search for Donald was abandoned after one week of heavy storms. In June of 1950, there was another search for Donald. People thought that after the snow melted, there would be maybe a chance of them finding at least some evidence, bones, um, something that they could lay to rest. They found nothing. That had been, what, a full year? It had been six months. For six months? However, yeah. he had thick clothing and a rifle. So um, obviously bodies rot and bones go back into the ground and what have you, animals get into things. But that would be something that would be a little easier to find or would at least stick around find for six something. months. Yeah. yeah. Especially if it was like a fresh animal attack that had happened. I mean, during the initial search, I mean, bears do bury food. And that's something I think about a lot when I read these stories is that a bear, after it, after it kills something and it eats enough, it will go bury that food and come back to it later. But it's not going to bury a rifle. <sighs> that's true. 
I don't know. And nothing belonging to Donald has ever been found. Yeah, it's, it's just very strange. Very weird. The next story is that of Bobby Boatman. It's in a very similar area, and it's two years later. Bobby was 14 years old and also went off on a hunting trip with two older men. I always think that's interesting. He does. He says that sometimes that there's like that he went with two older men, and it's like who's who are these guys to be going with? Is that his dad? Are we talking like a dad's an uncle? I don't know. Like, I have no idea. People used to send their kids off. I mean, with it's people 1951. Like, sure, go with the fucking creepy neighbor. Go get some meat. We need meat or we'll die. Bobby left Saturday morning with two older men and was last seen on a ridge Sunday, that Sunday morning near Godwin Springs, 30 miles south of Dayton. His companions spent the day searching for him. Following his disappearance, his friends reported him missing, and that first night, snow started falling hard in the mountains. Every time. Yeah, it seems that way. So much so that it prompted District Ranger Homer... Sorry, these names, man. Homie. Homer Oft is his name. It's also important to note that Bobby also was experienced in the outdoors. Uh, he was a Boy Scout, not to brag. Um, and so that's why he was with two older men. Oh God! <laughs> there we have it. Um, so case closed. Um, God, that's so dark. So, but authorities, I guess authorities at the time stated that they were optimistic that they would find Bobby alive because of his skill set. Um, the Boy Scouts do teach valuable skills. It's true. There's you some know, good you know some good ones. I do. <laughs> Every Eagle Scout I know is just like <laughs> partied so hard for the majority of their life. They're they're a unique breed. The Eagle Scouts. They're either like totally Puritan or they're just like completely unhinged. You're not wrong. No. So apparently the weather was so odd that it prompted District Ranger Homer Oft to make the following statement. Freakish weather conditions blotted out communications with the 125 searchers who plowed through waist-deep snow in sub-freezing temperatures looking for the youth. A seven-day search for Bobby was unsuccessful. Five years later, almost to the day... Law enforcement had their first break in the Bobby Boatman disappearance. On October 9th in 1956, hunters in the Blue Mountains found a rifle and a red cap. The items were found near Godman Springs by hunters Billy Watson, Robert Bailey, Albert Bailey, and Jess Black. The rifle was a 30 caliber Remington. Both items were turned over to the sheriff, and it was later confirmed that the rifle belonged to Bobby. So he wasn't far at all. He wasn't far at all. However, the red baseball cap and the rifle were discovered in a bush nearby as though he might have dropped both items and taken off running. Ugh, I don't like that. So after they found the red cap and rifle discovered in the bushes, uh, they conducted another search. And bones were found about 100 yards away, buried under tree roots. They were buried? The bones were buried. Hmm. Half submerged, or like some of them were fully submerged, some of them were underneath roots of a tree does it say what kind of tree i'm just curious it says um evidence indicated the boy's body had been placed under tree roots and covered with dirt then later pulled from the shallow grave by animals the bones were partially covered with dirt and debris about a hundred yards from where they found the rifle and cap after this upon further search oh sorry it's interesting the way that he wrote this because in 1952 uh a knife in its sheath and a rope that Bobby Boatman used as a belt. That part makes me sad. 
um, were found on a sandbar in Box Canyon. Is is it, it, bo- it, is it Box Canyon or a Box Canyon? In Box Canyon. Oh, huh. So it's like an actual place. It's not just a geographical feature. Weird. So it doesn't have the it doesn't have the exact distance, but it does say that the knife um, and the sheath and the rope belt were found in a creek were found in a creek bed a great distance from the body. Oh wow! So it's just it's just interesting to note that the body was near the rifle and the hat, but the knife and the its sheath yeah. and rope belt were all much farther away. Yeah, the the belt I could see, but I mean the knife is just as heavy. It's heavy enough not to get totally swept away. Right. And so David then goes on to say that animals wouldn't be very likely to pick up a knife in its sheath and his belt and carry them a great distance away from the body. Yeah. He also says it's highly, highly unusual to find a body buried underneath tree roots. He he says that he's actually never heard of anyone being buried under tree roots. Um, So he suspects that... um, I was going to say, I don't know. Cooper likes to carry things around in his mouth. Yeah, but like a great distance. Yeah, that's cool. That's a that's a puppy. No. That's, a cute, that's a cute little puppy, though. He's you, not going to kill nobody. Doggy. I love you, Cooper. He's not going to carry a knife. Listen to him drink water. It's so cute. So, essentially, David suspects that they might be able to find Donald's body in a similar predicament because they're in a very similar area. It happened two years apart. Um, nothing was ever found of Donald. So you think someone killed him? He never says that. He never says that. Sounds like he's like, what is the word? He's alluding to it. Either way, though, it's highly unusual. I mean, they're in the backcountry with people that are that not far off. That's, just, that's a really And without a part. sound or a trace, they just go missing. Yeah, the thought of, like, David Paulding really likes, I think, the, the thought of, like, an undocumented serial killer. He talks about it throughout the book, especially, in, like, in certain in certain areas like Mount Shasta. And Crater Lake. Interesting. He, yeah, sometimes he alludes heavily to the thought of someone out there committing the murders over the course of a decade. It, it, you know, that's really interesting because I am a, a major true crime fan, but that's never where my brain went. Even with no, this story, that's not where that's not where my mind went. He notes um, that both young men disappeared um, when they were on a ridge line, and so I, I've noticed that in some other stories as well. Yeah, I, I, say, I don't know what that's hinting towards, but I was leaning towards something more mysterious yeah i i mean the mountains of the west united states if you've never been here they are quite rugged and you get on those ridge lines and they do get very pointy and it's very easy to fall off in certain places if but i don't know as so like these people know the area they kind of know where they're at i don't know a lot about the blue mountains i'm assuming they're probably pretty rugged though it being is it northern idaho so i would imagine like to be on top of a ridge line something heroin could happen to you just on a casual walk. It's true. However, these are experienced young individuals who are with other people. Also you would true. think you would hear something. You, you would hear so? a shout. You would hear a rock falling. You would hear something. You would find something. Yeah. No noise is quite odd. Our next case comes from Whitebird, Idaho. The year is 1953, and Catherine Painter Maynard... Catherine Painter May. <laughs> Catherine Painter Maynard. Maynard. Mm-hmm. Catherine Painter Maynard, say that five times fast, is 38 years old. Now, I'm a big fan of Catherine. She's a 38 year old woman who operates uh, a cattle ranch on her own. Wow. On the edge of the Nez Perce National Forest. God, life was so hard back then. When was this? 
This was 1953, and Catherine God. was one tough woman. She had her mom living with her, running the household. On January 12, 1953, Catherine realized that a few of her cattle had gone missing. She took her cow pony. <laughs> she took her cow pony, sorry, <laughs> and rode off into the wild to look for her cattle. Late that afternoon, ding, 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 snow started to fall, and Catherine had not returned. Her mother became very concerned and called other ranchers in the area to assist in the search. Days later, three searchers found Catherine's body sprawled in the snow with no pony in the area. An article in the Lewiston Morning Tribune included the following in bold. When Mrs. Maynard left home Monday, she was wearing felt boots under her overshoes. When she finally collapsed in the snow, she had removed both overshoes and one of the felt boots. Her body was found on Banner Ridge, 12 miles east of Westbird. Searchers found Catherine's pony tied to a tree two miles from her body. The mortician who did the autopsy stated that Catherine had suffered from prolonged confusion preceding exhaustion. In an article in the Spokane Daily Chronicle, it said, quote, death was due to exhaustion. David says that this case completely defies logic. She was on a ridgeline and she lived in the area. She was less than two miles from her ranch and two miles from her pony. So she was... So she was two miles from her ranch and two miles away from her, her pony was tied to a tree. Further. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't wrap my mind around the thought of take the removal of the shoes. I want to see real fast. I just want to see what, like, what, what does hypothermia do to you? Oh, it can make you deeply confused. It also can make your skin feel hot and make you start to sweat. You feel like your body's overheating. I know. It's so strange. It's like something about your lizard brain just can't deal with what happens when your body starts to lose too much heat. It's so strange what your your mind forces you to do. But again, here we have a really experienced individual. She single-handedly operated a cattle ranch. I know. She did this stuff all the time. How did it happen? How did she end up in that predicament in the first place? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Why did she Why did she go missing? Why would she tie her pony to a tree and then end up two miles away from it? I think that she would know better. It's also interesting to note that the reason that she left was to go and find missing cattle. Yeah. Mm. It's just weird. Who took them? Can you tell me Can you tell me the date? Like the exact date? January 12th, 1953, she realized that a few of her cattle had gone missing. It says, I, the the when, it says asked, a Wednesday. Yeah, I Wednesday. I just want to see. So it was a Monday. So that happened for, so there was two days between the time that she left and the time that. A lot that of twos. They were found. Hmm. Yeah. A lot, a lot of twos. Two miles, two miles, two, two days. Two, two, two. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. I guess it, it could have just been the effects. Of, that's something like, I don't know why it happened, but if it was hypothermia, that would make more sense to me as to why, like, just for some reason, I have to tie my horse up here. Now, so what? I got to go home now. An experienced rancher goes out to find cattle. You don't think she saw the weather was about to get bad? Wouldn't she turn around? Even if it started to get a little bad first. And yeah. she she decided to just go a little bit further. Wouldn't she know the area? You, yeah, I mean, you think and so. And still be able to turn around? And even so, if she had to abandon her pony, who was found tied to a tree alive and well, from what I understand. That is let's odd. say she had to abandon that pony for whatever reason. It was two miles. Yeah, I don't know why you would 
ditch your Why would you die of exhaustion two miles away from your home? Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. Nope. How's everyone feeling out there? Are you spooked yet? I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the thought of being lost in the woods and just vanishing without a trace and then reappearing dead. It's very scary to me. Yeah, or never reappearing at all. Yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. Well, that's all I have for stories based out of Idaho. There's so many more stories based out of Idaho. I can't do it. I can't do it. I need a script. You want me to do it? I need a piece of paper. I need a plan. I need an agenda. Listen, do you want me to say it? Because I can say it. Okay. Listen, say, no. listen, repeat after me. Uh, no, I'm not going to have to. I can do it. I don't need to repeat after you as if you are any better at this than I am, bro. I was a radio DJ. Get out of here. <laughs> well, there are plenty more stories based out of Idaho, but that's all we're going to cover today. Tune in next week for some missing 411 stories out of Oregon and California. Yeah, it's going to be my part. We're going to cover a couple of younger boys and then one of the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Don't say I'm voice. not going to. I'm okay, not going to. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm going to be covering a couple of stories out of the Crater Lake area and the Mount Shasta region in California, including the oldest case in the book. These are all very, very eerie, and you're going to hear a whole lot of scary stuff in part two of Missing 411. Okay. Well, that's all, folks. Thanks for tuning in to The Long Road Home. I, was that good to say that's all, folks? No. Okay. Don't say that. I, I wasn't going to say anything. I don't know just what go, to say. Just go, woo. Woo. I can't wait to hear more. Woo. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's going to be good. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore LRH underscore pod. Yeah, we're going to be posting lots of pictures of some of the people that went missing in these two parts in the next couple of weeks. Also, don't forget to check us out on Twitch. We're streaming again next week. We hope to see you there. The LRH underscore podcast on Twitch. We're going to be watching videos, chatting. We hope you guys will come and talk to us about what you liked and did not like with our episodes. Or if you have any questions, we like those too. You can also reach us at the LRH show at gmail.com with those questions, comments, concerns, points of views, controversial opinions, whatever, whatever you want. Whatever floats your boat. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to give us a good rating on whatever podcast platform you're listening to and leave a nice comment. Those things mean the world to us and will help us more than you could ever imagine. Comment, like, subscribe, tap all the buttons. Just click all of the buttons. And once again, thanks so much for joining us here on The Long Road Home. We will see you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.